This is The Counter Up, the Irish Times rugby podcast sponsored by Nifty Business. You can find out more at niftybusiness.ie. My name is Nathan Johns. I'm joined in studio as ever by Irish Times rugby correspondent Jerry Thornley and Irish Times rugby writer John O'Sullivan. We're the day after Ireland's second Six Nations victory of the season 36 0. Jerry, we're 24, well, just less than 24 hours out. How did you find yesterday? I thought being in the Aviva, a little bit flat. <laughs> little bit flat. No, we're going to start with the joke. <laughs> yeah, emphasis Emphasis more on the third word than the first two. I would say it was shocking atmosphere. Shocking. I'm sick talking about this. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Actually, you put me in a bad mood now thinking about it. Okay. Like when Jameson Gibson Park scores or doesn't score at the end, nobody in the stadium is even aware because they've stopped watching. It's bananas, isn't it? They're all leaving the ground. This is the second best team in the world, winning their 19th match out of 20, with an all-time record run of home wins. I know it's a Sunday afternoon, I know there's not a sense, great sense of jeopardy about the game, but, oh my goodness, when, you, when I think back to Stade de France and Bordeaux and Naples and the atmosphere that 30, 40, 50,000 away fans generated by comparison, uh, and it can be done in the Aviva, it was, I remember an All Blacks match in, I think it was 10 years ago, November 2013, the one they should have won. Mm-hmm. Yep. The, and that was a Sunday game, kick, yeah. and yeah. that was a vibrant atmosphere. Now, admittedly, that's the All Blacks, and this is Italy, that's a fact, but I also think it's the nature of how the crowd has changed and stuff. But anyway, the, it, it deserved a better atmosphere. Not a, most of all, though, I really enjoyed the performance. I really enjoyed watching Ireland play. I particularly enjoyed Jack Crowley, the way he played. Uh, you mentioned Jack Crowley. I, I think that midfield in general was yeah. excellent. I thought Stu yeah. McCluskey, who had a quietly excellent game, yeah, some good touches. Totally. Robbie Henshaw continues to look pretty good at 13. Obviously, James Lowe, player of the match. I've given you four names there. I'll decide which one of, which one of you wants to take any one of those. John, you wrote about Jack Crowley for today's paper. Yeah, I thought he was great. I thought it was a different... He had a different set of criteria or demands for, for yesterday's game. He did brilliantly in Marseille, the, gear, the glare even, uh, of you know post-Johnny Sexton era. He handled that pressure extremely well playing away from home. Yesterday was slightly different in the sense that he was getting good quick ball and then... It gave him an opportunity to showcase his individual skills. I thought he carried the ball to the line brilliantly. I thought his footwork was great. I thought his range of passing was really, really good. I thought his decision-making, by and large, apart from one or two, which you would expect anyway in any game, was was first class. Uh, And I thought he brought his forwards and his backs into the game. I think he uh, it allowed Stuart... McCluskey, who I agree, had a really, really good game, and Robbie Henschel, the two midfielders, to, to kind of shine as well. The one thing that you would say is that, and it was enforced when Hugo Kino went off and he went to full back, and with all the changes that, that makes for a less cohesive team as a result of that, I thought, yeah, there were one or two moments when he was at full back that he didn't, he didn't make good it was, decisions. It was interesting because Andy Farrell said as much. He did, yeah. Afterwards. Which was interesting, yeah. yeah. I thought he started the game really well. In fact, I thought he um, um, he played really well at ten. When he went to fifteen, he got a little bit wider. Um, a few errors crept in, crept in there, but we'll work on that as well. Yeah, and it's interesting that he would say that he's he can be quite honest about his players. He can be moderately critical. Um, the shame about Jack Crowley moving to full back is if he had to do it from the start in Hugo Keenan's absence, were Hugo Keenan ruled out of the Welsh game because. With Jimmy O'Brien injured and with Mac Hansen injured, there isn't an awful lot of alternatives at fullback. So they either start Jack Crowley there or they 
start Kieran Frawley there and I hope it's not Jack because he's he's enjoying this run at that half and that was the thing I liked about his performance yesterday he looked like he was really enjoying himself there was almost a hint of a smile when he gave that no-look pass for oh, Hugo Keenan it was, it was just class yeah. and I loved the way he took out two players and offloaded for Calvin Nash bounced to his feet and Craig Casey in practice best moment of a mixed match the way he went around the corner drew Ange Capuoso and Crowley goes over for his try amazing to think this is his first senior try Ridiculous, yeah, 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 no, and, no. I think and, he's and also the way he took the ball to the line, as you said, and showcased his footwork, his strength, and that offload for Robbie Henshaw onto Stuart McCluskey and for the Dan Sheehan try. There's some lovely moments from him, and I think he's the future. I really do, and I think this is this is really encouraging for Irish rugby that we've never got into a Six Nations with such a callow pool at out half. There's always been. A, a long-term heir to the throne there and when they've come through Humphreys, O'Gara, Sexton that we've always had options there. This was real new era stuff and uh, his first two performances have been really, really encouraging. I think he's a class player and hopefully this is the beginning of an amazing international career. I think it could be. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. There's enough there in those two performances for us to be very encouraged by it. Well, I think what really I find fascinating is for all the kind of, and we mentioned it in the first week we, we were recording with, with Gordon Darcy, the kind of the, the cult of personality without half. Ireland as a country is obsessed with whoever mm. the guy is. It was mm. Humphreys, it was O'Gara, it was Sexton. You know, he probably will be Crowley, but we've never, I don't think any of those guys have had his uh, individual threat. None of those guys were throwing offloads like the way he was he was throwing offloads the other day, or even just the the panache of that no look pass. Like you said, it was interesting. James Lowe was up doing press yesterday, and he, he was asked about Crowley, and he said he doesn't have the Sexton aura, and he clarified that by saying he doesn't have the Sexton stare, so he doesn't have the the kind of the angry in, interactions with his teammates. But what he does have is he does have that kind of swagger to throw that no look pass and like you said Jerry enjoy doing so that level of skill is something we haven't necessarily seen for a while it was like watching him I, I, I thought I was watching Jack Crowley play under 20s for Ireland that's exactly what he did he was a superstar in 2020 when he played mm-hmm. and he you know you look at the length of the uh, pitch try against Scotland you look at everything he did he was goose-stepping back in 2020 and it was great to see something was like that goose-step before that little yeah. offload to Calvin Nash that's right, the Jack Crowley grew stuff. Yeah, right. You're gonna he's gonna patent it, I think, next yeah. week. So he's yeah, no, he was. When he he's was, doing that, that's a sure sign his confidence flowing. Oh, yeah, yeah, and he plays with that kind of he struts, he struts, and that's what ah, you yeah. want from your out half. Yeah. You want yeah. to strut to the, the way he plays. So I think it's uh, it's great to see that confidence. And like I say, Italy was a different asked a different set of questions of him, and he answered all those questions when he was playing out half. He created space. He took the space. He was a threat running. And if you think of how much that frees up other players and how much other performances benefited from having him as out half, it is, as Jerry was saying, it's great going forward because if he's a threat, it means that he has to be watched and that means that there's space elsewhere on the pitch for other players or a little bit more time. I don't think his error count is as big a problem as people will make out to be because if you're the out half, you have to make the most decisions. It's like the quarterback in American football, you are going to make the most mistakes because you make the most decisions. And if you're not making decisions, you're not worth anything. And there's no point having an ad half that's playing 10 metres behind the gain line either. So he, he, it, they, are, they are playing it very flat at the gain line. It is higher risk, but it's higher reward. The one caveat I would have is the goal kicking. Like Munster against Toulon, Munster against Northampton. And again, yes, they, the conversion rate wasn't high enough of those conversions. And it, it didn't... It, Contribute to Munster losing those couple of games, and he definitely can, and will get, he'll get there because we saw the goal kicking in Marseille was absolutely outstanding. But on on your absolutely right, Nathan, I think 
in his own way, Stuart McCluskey gave a really good understated performances. And Robbie Henshaw has now been so good in two games that it seems extraordinary to say, but Ireland have not missed Gary Ringwells. In the same way that Ireland haven't missed Johnny Sexton, they've not really missed Gary Ringwells. And I think Robbie Henshaw now is the man in situ. I think he holds on to the jersey. And Stuart McCluskey probably won't. Bundyaki will probably come back in. And Bundy's run of form at 12 for Ireland in big games is off the charts. But McCluskey, that pass for James Lowe, the unselfish pass for Dan Sheen, that was two try scoring assists. And what Crowley and McCluskey both give Ireland a 10 and 12 that they haven't had before is in tandem with Lowe, an offloading game. Each of the three had three offloads yesterday. McCluskey's a very good offload as well as a good distributor. I think he looked a bit leaner, John. He looked a little bit fitter, I thought, as well. Yeah, I, I think the challenge for him, he's been challenged on a couple of occasions. Obviously, there's Andy Farrell made this point afterwards that Robbie Henshaw and Stuart McCluskey were challenged for their performance, I think, against Samoa, and they needed to, to kind of step up from that the, day. The World Cup qualify, uh, yeah. not qualify, warm up. Yeah, so, uh, and they did, mm. and they did. And if you look at, the one thing with, with Stuart McCluskey, he's always been a brilliant offloader. You're looking for more aggression on both sides of the ball for the size of person that he is and also for a more nuanced passing game and he showed all of those qualities that's why Ireland were so dependent on James Lowe for so long that when Joe remember James Lowe missed a November series the narrow wins over Australia and South Africa and, and the not convincing performance over Fiji like there was just no offloading in the team at all because he's, he's the best offloader in Irish rugby and it, it just brings so many other players into the game but then when you've got McCluskey and Crowley doing it as well it was a big factor in Ireland scoring six tries yesterday, wasn't it? McCluskey's brilliant offload and the build-up to Calvin Gibson Nash's, Park coming around the corner. Calvin Nash's Nash over. That was, a, like, that was, that was, the, that was the best try of the day for yeah, me. Yeah, probably, yeah. And it was, probably. And McCluskey throws the one-hander and then Crowley, I think, threw one immediately after that out of contact yeah. and Gibson Park kind of bounces one tackler. Oh, it was just, it was he's he's very unlucky, Stuart McCluskey, really, because in any other era, he might have won 50 well, caps. That's, that's the thing. Like, he's, he's done this a few times. Yeah. Remember the South Africa game in November 22 when yeah. he, he had a brilliant half an hour before getting injured. And that's it's right. a case of, you know, thanks, Stu, you've played really well, but Bundy's yeah. going to come back in now, and, yeah. and, and nobody really has any complaints. Or he was talking about, about it that. yesterday in the press conference, like just you know, it's it's just my misfortune. I've come along the year of two lion centres, yeah. three arguably. Gary Reno should and could have been as well. Yeah, it's like yeah. back row for Ireland. Like, yeah. I mean, it's just you can be unlucky. It's nothing to do with you, your ability. Imagine being a great thirteen in the year of Brian O'Driscoll. You, know, yeah. you had to do what Gordon Darcy did, become a twelve. Yeah, I think also we should mention James Lowe. I mean. You've, we've yeah, touched on him here I think as man of the match I mean it was a really really good performance yeah. from James Lowe he adds and you've touched on it there everything he brings to the game the things that he does the simple things and the difficult things he does them to a very high level well we made the point yesterday when we were doing our live Twitter roundup show with, with Darth, um for all James Lowe's offloading we all take his left boot for granted yeah. now. I think uh, stunning it's, weapon. It's funny all the all the kind of advanced analytics nerdy statos love kicking as the stat more than anything else. So they all James Lowe is always the top of their player of the match list because he kicks for 150. These are all your friends. 150. That's what you're saying. <laughs> we will. Yes, too much time in our in our mother's basements. But his defence is what I want to talk about. Like, we just don't talk about him being a defensive liability anymore. And he did. He did get dropped for his defence early on in his Ireland career. I think last year he had 10 turnovers in the Six Nations. I'm pretty sure that was the highest number for an individual. He had another intercept yesterday getting into the passing lane. He did it last week in Marseille. He scored a try last year against Wales getting into a passing lane. We don't talk about the fact that he, he gets caught out defensively anymore and he's consistently turning the ball over and that's just something that I think that has made him pretty much as complete a winger as as he needs to be. Yeah, totally. Like, that left 
boot is such a weapon. Um, it's got to be the best boot in the Six Nations. His finishing we know about, his offloading we know about, but you're right. I mean, those re- those defensive reads have become so good now. Um, I mean, you remember that one that sealed the deal against the All Blacks in the Aviva as well at the end, the celebrations himself and Peter O'Malley. <laughs> well, that was when he gave that really impassioned TV interview where he gave out to the press for talking about his defence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he yeah. said, you look at me smashing Rico here, Rico Ioanni, yeah. and look at me winning the game for Ireland. Stop talking about my defence. And granted, that was over a year ago now, but it's not. not only has it become... Go, uh, good enough it yeah. is it's a weapon it's turning it's, the ball over it's a little bit disappointed Ireland the Irish rugby system is not producing more winners that we have to go to New Zealand and Australia for our winners it's a little bit disappointing that we're not producing more scrum halves that we have to go to New Zealand and we're still our second best scrum half is undoubtedly the 34 year old has been three Lions tours and been a great servant and there aren't a lot of winners and, and not a lot of fullbacks or scrum halves coming through like if Hugo Keenan's ruled out of the next game Ireland are going to somewhere they haven't been in a few years because he's been just the sole occupant of the, of the jersey. Why yeah. is that, do you think? I think Ireland have, particularly at underage levels for their underage teams, they tend to convert centres. So they want the best footballers on the pitch. And the out-and-out speedsters sometimes don't have the same skill sets as, as some of the other players. So if you look at even this year's under-20 team, so on one wing you've Finn Tracy, who's a centre, basically playing on the right wing uh, and played centre with... with um, I think Prez Bray and then he played with Leinster and he's now in the Connacht Academy and then on the other wing you've got Hugo McLaughlin who's a fullback with Gonzaga last year the cup winners very very good player but again if you were looking at top end pace we're not producing those sort of players and haven't and even if you look through the Grand Slam winning teams of the last couple of years we don't with the exception you could probably argue with Shea Mullins would be the one that might have something like that top end pace but this has been this has been a problem in Irish rugby for quite a while. And as Jerry said, like we are looking to, for that kind of, uh, if you're looking to get cheap tries, for example, and this is a problem for Irish rugby and also for the provinces as well, if you don't have that top end speed. So if you can imagine if you had a Cheslin Colby, Damien Pinot, and you could pick any of the, the top level uh, wings and you could look at them, we did just don't produce them in Irish rugby. Like it's Dennis, you're going back, Dennis Hickey, James Topping, you know, kind of for the last two years. he was quick. Yes, he was. But he was, again, Luke, he, was, he was quick. He was converted from a centre. Luke Fitzgerald was a full back. Mm-hmm. So all of these guys, none of them played wing in school, if yeah. you know what I mean. They came up, they played other positions. And it is, it is. It's, it's not such a big problem at the moment in the sense that once Hanson and Lowe are fit or Nash or whoever, once there's a few to pick from because Andy Farrell and Mike Katz attacking system doesn't want a blinding, pacey, finishing type, like a Robert Balakoon, because yeah. Robert Balakoon doesn't give enough across the three-quarter line, doesn't come off his wing enough, doesn't get his hands the ball enough, doesn't put players into space, work harder off the ball. He ba- Farrell's attacking system just wants attack, good attacking players across the back line, that's, regardless that's a, of position. Yeah. And they all, it's very fluid and interchangeable. So in that sense, the players that Ireland have at the moment suits the system. Yeah, I think that the other thing you point out is Nash, Nash played centre at school. James Lowe played full-back originally, and Mac Hansen was an out-half, who also played a little bit of centre Lowe full-back. could be an option of full-back, couldn't he? Yeah, he I could. I was could just be. thinking that as yeah. well, out loud. Um, mm. Yeah, so I, I think in those circumstances, we're just kind of proving the point here that that versatility, that footballing ability is the prized asset, that you work hard, you work off your wing, you're not just a winger, but sometimes you just think somebody with Robert Balakoon's pace, not, you know, that sort of asset that you have, which we don't really have in Irish rugby. And, 
like I say, through a succession of under-20 Grand Slam winning teams, you don't really have it there either. I, I do think Irish rugby deserves some credit for, and you touched on it with James Lowe, like Lowe has become a much better player in the Irish system than I believe he ever would have become in the New Zealand system. Just through Leinster and Ireland, particularly in his defence and the use of him in the kicking game. And by the same token, I don't think James, James and Gibson Park is definitely a product of the Leinster and Irish system now at this stage. He's played way more matches for Leinster and Ireland than he ever played in New Zealand and he's become an infinitely better player through the Irish system as well. So I think they, they're they Irish internationals by merit in, in many ways too. Yeah, Gibson Park was always going to struggle for game time. I think he was backing up TJ Perinara and at he, the Hurricanes. Else as well. He was always back up. And I remember looking at the stats and like, I mean, his grandchildren are going to ask him one day, Dad, were you number 21 or 9? Because there's an awful lot of shirts with 21 <laughs> on the back. <laughs> I want to touch on Italy briefly before we go to the, the other games in the mm-hmm. tournament. Yeah. I actually was quite impressed slash surprised with Gonzalo Quesada, their head coach, after the match. I thought he was quite refreshing. Um, I didn't understand much of what he said because he was in Italian. But when he did speak English, it was... Well, he compared Ireland to the All Blacks mm. of his generation. Of course, he's 1999 kind of era. It was a pretty good All Blacks team. I think you had it in the paper today, Jerry. The kind of they, if they have 100% line out, 100% scrum, 100% high balls, really good ruck efficiency, and destroy our breakdown. We can, you know, everyone talks about Italy being pragmatic, kicking more, being more competitive like that. It does, that doesn't matter if if you're if you're not putting any pressure on Ireland, which is what the point he was making. Uh, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get any. It doesn't matter how much you kick the ball or not, or where you play the game. If you, if those are the stats that you're coughing up, mm. you're you're in trouble. Yeah, he was very generous with his praise towards Ireland. It's interesting how others perceive this Irish team. You'd imagine if they're watching on the Southern Hemisphere, they must be going, "Wow, Ireland are the real deal compared to everybody else." Um, that's not to say that Ireland are nailed on certainties to win the Grand Slam or anything like it. I think there's tricky games coming up, not least in Twickenham, um, but. Uh, yeah, I was a bit disappointed in the Italians, to be honest, Nathan. I, I was really encouraged by that first half performance against England. They haven't really developed on that. I've been disappointed in Paolo Garbisi, given all the promise that he showed a few years ago. He's been really struggling. I think he struggled yeah. for Montpellier this yeah. year. He's yeah. taken a step back this season. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. There's talking being transferred to Toulon. Toulon need an out half and Montpellier need a something. I can't remember what. There's a player exchange. It's the new transfer system starting off in rugby in the top 14. So, yeah, he's been disappointed. I was bit disappointed the younger Garbies he didn't start although Stephen Varney that tackle on Dan Sheen at the corner was the tackle of the day to save a try and in fairness they did keep denying tries to Arn at the end they didn't throw in the towel or anything like it but given they'd and they've, they've lost Negri and Canone as well or their main two ball carriers but overall the zero was never really in doubt once they missed that opening penalty did, was it? Yeah they found a way through at the times they found a way through very on a few occasions they found a way through and then they managed to make a poor decision or a, a kind of handling error. I thought they were very heavily prescribed in what they were doing. I thought that they were very heavily patterned. They didn't play with any sort of heads up kind of vision. So they didn't problem solve on the pitch. They didn't stress Ireland really at all. They didn't react to the circumstances of the game. And that's a worry for the team because if you're that heavily patterned and that's your instincts or that's kind of coached into you, then it's going to be a bit of a problem when you don't get any gain lines, when you don't get kind of quick ruck ball, when your kicking game isn't functioning, you have to be able to adapt. And I think I agree with Jerry in the sense that, you know, that first, but it's classic Italian as well, that first half in Stadio Olimpico against England was, was good and there was a lot of promise in it. The second half was kind of the way they follow up a good performance in the Six Nations with a poor one or one that's lacklustre or careless or ill-disciplined. And I thought they were just, even by, you know, I, I thought they were, 
I thought they were very lacklustre yesterday. I thought there was there wasn't a lot to them, and I think they they accepted their fate. I they were they, sorry they they were gutsy in in the in the fact that they kept going. But if you look at Ireland and you look at a twenty five minute lull in the second half, and you think of the chances that you know Ireland two tries correctly disallowed, mm. uh, another opportunity. Oh, could have been fifty. Yeah, yeah. and then, then you're thinking fifty. Yeah, then, where, yeah exactly. Where, where are we going here? Where are we going? Yeah, where are we going here? That it wasn't. Yeah, same. For me, there's three kind of areas that highlight. Where they struggled, thirty-nine percent territory. You get a give Ireland for for Italy. That is so. If you give Ireland that much territory, they're going to cut you open. Seventy-one percent of Ireland's breakdowns fewer than three seconds. Any team in the world is going to get cut open uh, offering that quick ball. Four hundred and fifty meters made by Ireland after contact. After contact. so Italy, they just that's probably a product of Ireland getting such quick ball. Um, yeah, they won the game line again, Ireland commandingly, and that's partly not just to their their strength in the carry, but also their footwork before the carry, which is better, way better than Italy's, and also their variety of their passing game and having runners off the ball, which Italy just didn't have anything like the same numbers. I give credit for Ireland. Their line speed again, two games in a row, has been very, very good, consistently good all the way through. On that defensive point, last six Six Nations games, Ireland have conceded 12 tries. The next best is France with 27. Yeah. So Ireland are 15 tries better than the opposition. And first time Ireland have nailed a side in the Six Nations or Five Nations as it was back then since 1987. 17-0 against England. England, mm. exactly. Right, we'll leave the Ireland chat there. After the break, I will continue our conversation with Jerry Thorney and John O'Sullivan and we're going to chat through the other games of this weekend's Six Nations. Welcome back to the Counter Rock. My name is Nathan Johns. Still here with Jerry Thorney and John O'Sullivan. Let, let's move on. Uh, Ireland's next opponents, Wales, in a fortnight. Obviously, there's the week off this week. Um, they lost to England 16-14. Uh, Jerry, you asked Andy Farrell actually uh, after the Ireland game, what did he make of of the Welsh performance? I think it's safe to say, especially given Wales had that halftime lead and talk of rebuilding and a younger side under this Welsh side, etc. Um, they're they're zero from two. They're they're still losing matches, but I think it's safe to say we didn't expect them to be as competitive going to Twickenham. No, probably not. No, I, I would agree with you about that. Like uh, the penalty try off a of to the Maul went well. That was surprising to see a, a young-ish Welsh pack mauling England for a penalty try. I thought the second try they scored was a cracker. It was the highlight of the game by a, some distance, which admittedly the bar was quite low. <laughs> um, but the way they Negotiated the Felix Jones blitz defence with the pass back inside. Tommy yeah, Rattler was outstanding. Yeah. And they lead 14-5 at the break. And you're thinking, wow, this is really bad for Portugal and England. Wales could win this. To be honest, I never thought from the moment they got a penalty back to 14-8, I never, Nathan, for a moment thought Wales were going to win that game. Well, they didn't score in the second half. I'm and they sure. never looked like scoring, Nathan. No, they didn't. And, they do- and it wasn't lack of defence. I think it's just a lack of depth and quality. They just don't have the bench. Well, I think that's their issue. Yeah. Look, they've got a 21-year-old captain. Gatland has turned the, yeah. the pack especially. He's, yeah. he's turned that over to youth. But it's exciting. And you mentioned that try. The I think, was it, was it, Garrett, was it Davies who got over? No, it was with Thomas Williams. I mean, I'm not sure. But I know exactly what try you're talking about, the, the offload try. And what they did there was a really interesting way of getting around the blitz defence was, first of all, they just threw the ball incredibly deep and accepted a, a collision, but well behind the gain line. But then they they did a very good job of singling out the blitzers in England's defence who wouldn't be blitzing, and that is the front row forwards. If you look yeah. at it, it's Will Stewart who gets targeted yeah, by Raffle, the tight right. head prop, and Doesn't he has the gap because he's not as fast yeah. as the yeah. guys on his outside. There's a yeah. massive dogleg. Something Ireland do really well. They did it very well yeah. against the All Blacks on yeah. that tour. They targeted the All Blacks uh, front row when they won down there. 
So that's when Wales dealt with the blitz very well, but they didn't deal with it well in other stages. I think the Ben Earl try came off the fact that their 10 decided to try and run inside his 22 and the blitz swallowed him up, etc. So I think, I know what you're going to say, John, because we were talking about it before. We're here praising Wales. I think you're going to highlight the fact that the game was a little bit substandard and you wouldn't be too overly concerned. (laughs) I think that it was a tough watch. I think that if you were a partisan, it's okay. If you were a neutral, uh, you would have found it tough to watch all of that game. I think when you look back and you say that, uh, I can't remember, it was uh, Stewart, the England fullback, got Freddie Stewart got man of the match. I think it was Tommy Rafael all day long. And if you look at the fact that the Welsh Open side should have been man of the match, it'll tell you a lot about the fact that his turnovers were highlighted. So he did a lot to stem the English tide for a long time. And I agree with Jerry about the fact that at no point did I think Wales were going to win the match because they just seemed to <clears throat> suddenly realise that they were winning a match and all of a sudden they got a little bit of stage fright and they weren't sure how they were going to continue to win a match. So what they did then was become more conservative and that suited England down to the ground because Wales kept giving England back the ball and England kept going, OK, we'll have a rattle with this. And they weren't particularly kind of innovative, but they just they just kind of pummeled away long enough to give them the field position to get enough, just about enough scores to win the match. And then when Wales realised that, you know, kind of towards the tail end of the match, they might lose this, then they started to throw the ball around. The point you made about Johan Lloyd running around like a headless chicken in his 22 and, you know, was was is well made. Some of his cross-kicking early on, early on in the game was a little bit, ill-judged and I think in a general sense from game management sense I think they're still looking for that 10 but but there are qualities to the Wales side so I'll I'll preface this I didn't think it was a great match to watch but uh, I think for Welsh supporters I think there's a lot to to enjoy in terms of the players coming through how long that takes and where they get to and uh, I think is still to be determined but yeah, you can see that that they have some very good young players, but they they always have. The question is getting enough of them into the team. They lack real presence at that half, don't they? They really do. Like you think of, we talked about Jack Crowley in the post-Sexton era. You can talk about Finn Smith coming through as well as Mark Smith and having George Ford there in England in the post-Owen Farrell era. Post-Dan Bigger era is not looking so good for the for the Welsh, sadly. you know. And he was he was a real standard bearer for them for over a decade in the same way. Johnny was same way on Farrell was like it's a real it's a, a landmark Six Nations having none of the three. It will be very interesting to see. I think Callum Sheedy is moving back from Bristol to Cardiff. So oh, I right, think he's okay. going to be back in the fold at some point. It'll be interesting to see do they parachute him in once he's yeah. back and eligible once again. I'm a big Dan bigger fan. I thought I think he's a great competitor. I think the fact that him, uh, himself and Johnny Sexton used to be as cranky with each other on the pitch, <laughs> two great competitors and, and, and bigger in the end. Too. Yeah, absolutely. And off the pitch, very good friends, and they speak very warmly about each other. Yeah. But I think he provided Wells with a presence, you know, uh, he was very good under pressure. He was just a good player. And I think you're right. I think they miss somebody like that who could give them a different dimension and manage the game a little bit better for them. And therefore, they would be more of a threat. They have some good young players, uh, and there's no doubt about that. And they always produce, you know, decent wing, decent full backs. You know, George North has been rejuvenated playing yeah. in the centre. So, you know, they ask questions. But that, that 30-odd phase drive at the end, like they went backwards as much as they yeah. went forwards. They never, it was all one-off. Jerry Fanny yeah. was summing up really well in co-commentary. I mean, it just, they never even looked like they were going to get within drop goal no. range or penalty range. No, Jerry, Jerry Fanny, man of the match, I think that day in terms of yeah. the most yeah, impressive exactly. thing from that game was his, yeah. his commentary. Um, 
I just think you know, too often you get commentators complaining about teams going backwards or kicking too much and calling it boring all the time. But um, he actually uh, actually explained what was going on, which is a bit of a rarity. Right, the other game, um, I think we have to talk about that. Scotland try that wasn't. They lost 16-20 to France. Scotland threw that game away. I think it's, it's yeah. safe, fair to say, but they will say that they scored that try. Mm. Where do you stand on the try that wasn't? Um, I think that it was probably a try without any definitive proof that it was a try, but in all probability, it was a try. I think that rugby is tying itself in knots with its use of the TMO and this business of what the referee calls it on field. If it's, if like, the, the try that wasn't for France as well, on a different night, we could have been complaining a lot about that second try that France scored. That was, there was no video evidence to prove that was a the try. In Marseille. Yeah. There was just no proof of that at all. And I think if the referee says on field decision is such and such, is a try or whatever, why... Just in case of semantics, why are we hidebound by that by the by the referee saying that if he's not sure? I mean, just why not just uh, in future? I think it's a try, but is it a try? Yes or no? Well, it would be such a better simple question, yeah. and then you get better outcomes. Correct. But I think the the logic behind it is the whole the TMO system is there to get rid of clangers. Mm. So if it's fifty fifty, you just stick with with what the referee has said, which is fine. But it does mean in situations like this where everybody the referee didn't know. That was the thing. Yeah. Well, he, he, and likewise in Marseille, how yeah, on earth no. could Dixon call that a try? Yeah. Or the touch it when it wasn't a try. So you're saying it should be amended that the referee should be able to say I don't know yeah. instead or of an on field decision. Or even yeah. to say I think it's a try, but I stand to be corrected or whatever. Saying, is it a try? Yes or no? Not this on field decision is. You can it's still semantics. Kick, you can still kick it upstairs. So if, if Nick Berry had 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 the facility to turn around and go to the TMO, I don't know whether it's a try or not. If you can, if you can conclusively prove via your the pictures that you're watching that it's a try, we'll give it. And if you don't, we won't give it. And it would still have reached the same conclusion because they, uh, Brian McNeese couldn't, didn't have any footage that conclusively proved that a try had been scored. Mm. And the law of probability, yes, it was a try. The mm. law of probability. Mm. And it, in the old days, it would have been given as a try because yeah. the instinct, I think, would have been, uh, I think, yeah. Could you give John West sure. the referee? Definitely would have well, given <laughs> But, um, yeah, it's a, I thought Finn Russell's reaction was very mature afterwards. Yes, I thought it was a try, but we should have made sure of that game a lot sooner than that, which I thought was very honest of them. They should have. Like, Brian Clough used to always say, if you want to be absolutely sure you beat the opponents, go two goals up, not one. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that was very <laughs> yeah, true. And we, we can look at, the other thing is that, okay, we can get back into it. It's another officiating decision. So Gail Fiku is stopped by Duhan van der Merwe. Oh, completely. With an arm around no. the around shoulder. Seatbelt tackle. Yeah. And then yeah. he's offside from the reset. Correct. And, and you're, that's, you're, that's a penalty try in the yellow card. You're wondering how they can arrive at these decisions. Yeah. So you're looking at it and you're thinking, okay, if you say that, and, and there's nuances according to Nigel Owens who was asked about this, and he said, well, he didn't target the neck. And you're going, well, he grabbed him around the neck. So whether he targeted the neck or not, he stops him by putting his arm around his shoulder, neck and pulling back. And then he's offside. That was even worse almost, the offside. So, he was never retreated behind the hindmost foot. I, I think that, you know, you can look at... The, and the one thing, sorry, I would say about Scotland is that they had the where they had the enough possession to win the match. Definitely. They decided to kick it away for long periods yeah. in the second half. We get, won't get into the Anton Dupont rule here. Because I think we just all agree that that rule needs to be changed and, and move on. It's just unwatchable. Again, it's been, a part of that game was unwatchable. Like, it was a poor watch again. It was another match that was a poor watch. But I do think Scotland have to look to themselves and, and it's it goes back to the point that they had enough possession to win the game. France could argue that Gael Fico should have, they should have had a penalty try in those circumstances. And what were France doing at that scrum at the end of the match? Yeah. 
Like, what were they yeah. doing? Like, this doing? is in their control. Yeah. The game's over. Yeah. And they yeah. somehow find a way to get a, a silver salver out and present an opportunity to Scotland. And unfortunately for Scotland, it was uh, denied by television. The, the opening two rounds have revealed two things for me that are not even that different from last season. The, the biggest difference from last season is not that Ireland have progressed and carried on and so far remained the top of the table team and the best team in it, but how France have regressed from where they were in that first half against or that match against Ireland, where, where they were at Twickenham last season when they pulverised England, to where they were in the first half against South Africa in the World Cup quarterfinal, to where they are now. It's quite extraordinary. You can't just attribute it all to just Antoine Dupont not being there. No, I think that's I think that's very true. Like we have said for a couple of weeks now, at, uh, um, when you watch Nolan Lagarec come on the pitch and the speed at which France play when he is there, when you watch Louis Biel Bieri take the try the way he did, yeah. like just an individual piece yeah. of brilliance. Yeah. And then you look at a coach who has kind of put all his eggs in the intensity physicality basket for France against Ireland, and you're thinking, if you have players of this quality. Why aren't you playing them in Bieri's case in particular? Because he's a brilliant wing. He's a brilliant young wing. And I wonder if, if at what point Fabian Galthi is going to realise that, you know what, actually, no, we've got to go and play some rugby. When you look at individuals within the team, and also you're probably looking at Jonathan Dante, who hasn't been in, the, in good form in the centre. Galthi came back and, Didn't and he, played. He played well. Yeah, he played very got well. slaughtered all week long yeah. in France. But he, he did respond. He did respond. And then you're looking at the wings. Louis Bielbieri and, and Damien Pinot. If you have all these players not attacking quality, mm. why wouldn't you give them the I, ball? I, th- I think that I could very much see them starting Legarek in a fortnight's time, especially that pass he gave for Bielbieri tries. Fantastic. Right, before we go, we should also mention the 20s. Obviously, uh, had a one-point win, 23-22. I was going to say about the 20s, tournament. we were they, should have, they all went to the spar shop later on that night to buy lottery tickets because they how they won that match. And we have, I think Johnny Waterson touched on it this morning, like the... Uh, Scalabrin I think the Italian right winger scored two tries saved another try basically yeah. did everything he could to win the match and still didn't get man of the match which Johnny Waterson has touched on in the paper which makes an absolute fallacy these awards uh, basically sponsors awards but sorry just to touch on that I think that it was I think there was a physical legacy from a short turnaround playing course, against France five days of course yeah, yeah. and coming which back home TV go away well, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that yeah. to under 20 I'm, yeah TV controls sport too much. No, it really does. When well, you're foisting a five-day turnaround on under-20 side. And you're travelling. And this is this is Junior World Cup stuff. This yeah. is like playing two matches in, you know, kind of five-day stuff. And I think there was a legacy issue there. I think any team would miss Brian Gleeson. There are issues with the 20s from attack, from a defending tackling perspective. They were poor and that it was a big wake-up call for them. It Richie, doesn't look a vintage 20s, John, compared to the last few years. Well, it's funny, uh, if you just spoke to Richie Murphy before the tournament, he would have said there was more depth, less marquee players. And I think that what they're looking for, so coming down the track, and it's not that, that you would take the Welsh game for granted, but England have two props and a scrummaging pack. And if you look at the, the areas where Ireland are struggling, we'll say, in matches, scrum is one of them. And that will be a problem for them. I think it's just, if you look at it, you would say that they have played in fits and starts. Their, their tackling isn't up to scratch. And Richie Murphy was very honest afterwards in the match. He, was, he said, look, we got away with one here. Uh, and they'll have a two-week lead into Wales. They should be better if Brian Gleeson is back. It'll be, it'll be a plus. And they found a way, which is what you would say, they found a way to win a match in which they were struggling, which uh, is something to their, you know, you give them credit for that. Player of the opening two rounds, 
I'm definitely going to go Jack Crowley because I've got time to think of it there while John was talking about the under-20s and I thought about it. I've just enjoyed his two performances immensely. I was a bit worried about the post-Johnny Sexton era. He only had started three games for Ireland. Uh, he'd done well against Australia. Hadn't done so well in the other two. Six Nations game away to France and Marseille. Uh, I thought the Virgin panel were a little harsh on him, to be honest. I thought, for the same reason I outlined earlier, number 10 is going to make mistakes because he's going to make the most decisions. I like the swagger to his performance. I think it's good. It's really encouraging for the future for him and for Irish rugby that we've got this little potential jewel. I'm not going to say he's going to be a brilliant 10, but there is definitely enough in those two performances to give you a load of encouragement about him in the future. Wouldn't you agree? I would, and I was go- I w- kind of tempted to pick him. There, there, are, there are shades of Joey Carberry about Jack Crowley. You know, that kind of goose step, that swagger, that ability to take the ball to the line. So what Jack Crowley needs is a run without injuries, and he needs a run in the 10 shirt all of the time, as much time as he possibly can, and he'll develop. But if you're asking me to pick a player, mm-hmm. I'll go Ireland again, and mm-hmm. I will go with their imperious fullback, Hugo Keenan. Yeah. I just watch him play, and it's like he he's watching the game unfold in slow motion. He's in all the right places. He makes all the right decisions. He chases lost causes or certainly causes where it's a kind of 60-40 in favour of the defender. He tracks people. He makes tackles. He catches high balls. He's in the right place. He gives the opposing out half a poor look at space. There's no space. He covers very well. His communication with his wings is, is good. And for me, he is probably the one player in the team that's close to irreplaceable for the reasons that Jerry outlined earlier on with the injury profile and, and stuff like that. And he's difficult to replace in the team at the moment. He's just... You're, I, I couldn't dispute anything you just said. There. Like, you think back to Marseille and he made three brilliant defensive yep. try-saving reads and executions. Didn't get his hands on the ball much at all. Yesterday, that tap and go from his mark was actually what brought the crowd to yep. life for a brief while even, and brought the team alive. And same with his, I presume he called that chip from Craig Casey and the ground he covered to get onto the ball. So he was great to him get on the ball and show what a great attacking player he is. We only ever knows him now when he makes a mistake, which is almost never. Right, we'll leave it there for today. Uh, my thanks to Jerry and John as always, as well as our sponsors, Nifty Business. My name is Nathan Johns. You've been listening to The Counter Up. Make sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back on Thursday where we have a very special guest for the down week. Mm-hmm.